The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. Across the centuries, on the very first Sunday of Lent, at the very beginning of the 40 days, the church has proclaimed the Gospels of the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And in doing so, it puts in front of the faithful a very particular model of what this season is about. And at first hand, it seems pretty obvious. It was 40 days, it was in the desert, Jesus was tempted, we'll take 40 days, we'll deny ourselves, and we'll struggle with temptation too. And that's correct to a certain extent. However, over the season, there are a couple different models that the church will present us with so that we understand the fullness of this time. This is the first, and on one hand, the most obvious of those models. And yet, lurking beneath the surface of those simple connections is something absolutely marvelous. Because the church, when we gather for Mass, never proclaims the gospel by itself. We never listen just to a gospel story. Rather, there are other readings that accompany it. And as we move through the season of Lent, all of the readings are carefully chosen for the way that they speak to one another and about one another and together of the fuller mystery that we celebrate. And so curiously, on the one hand, we have Jesus going to the desert, and on the other hand, we have these references to water, floods, rainbows, and baptism. Note the contrast between the overwhelming amount of water in the destructive flood at the beginning to the experientially smaller quantities of water that we know from the sacrament of baptism, to again the overwhelming isolation, lack, and dryness that one finds in a desert. And suddenly we realize that there's something going on here that is greater than simply a similarity of 40 days and temptation, although that is very much the case here. So as we step back and kind of look at everything in the perspective that the readings themselves lay out in front of us, we notice something absolutely important, and that's this. The beginning of Lent is related to the end of Lent. 
because the 40 days are going someplace. It's not simply a quantity of time we take before we move on to the next thing. It is a movement of 40 days that is leading somewhere. There's an outcome. Think about then what happened last Wednesday, where many of us showed up in church and we presented our perfectly clean foreheads to a guy who got them dirty with ashes. And as silly as it sounds to put it that way, sometimes lingering with the painfully obvious is the best place to begin. Ashes are dry. They're lifeless. They have no value. And that is, in a sense, what sin does to us. How sin undercuts what is good within us and undoes even the best of us, leaving us with nothing and often feeling like we're going nowhere or ended up nowhere. We begin with that, with the simple acknowledgement of our own sinfulness. And why? Note what we heard Jesus say when he comes out of the desert. Now is the time of fulfillment. We heard those words on Ash Wednesday, too. The letter that we read from, from St. Paul, said the same thing. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. And that means if now is the time, the time for waiting and putting things off is over. And then that means we need to take a step toward fulfillment, a step toward salvation. Not tomorrow, but now. Lent is a 40-day now. Lived in the light of the time of fulfillment is upon us. The kingdom of God is at hand, the Lord says. Think of how close to you the hand on your body is. The kingdom of God is at hand. It means within reach. As close as your ability to stretch out your hand and touch. Know how powerful that is. That is how close the kingdom of God is at hand, which means you could touch it now. It is coming to you now. That is how close it is. Not in your hand yet, but at hand. For it to be in your hand, what must happen? The hand has to reach. It has to stretch. It has to risk being willing to make contact. The kingdom of God is at hand. But how do we reach? How do we stretch out to receive and meet the kingdom? Repent and believe in the gospel. That great work of Lent. Repent, turn away from sin, turn away from Satan. But there's a direction to the turning. It is a turning away from what is wrong to the one who is right. It is a turning away from death to the one who gives life. It is a turning away from futility to the only one who fulfills and satisfies. Note how marvelous that is, this intrinsic movement of Lent. And so it raises the question, why was Jesus in the desert for 40 days? One, 
because Israel wandered in the desert lost for 40 years. And those 40 years of wandering and stumbling were at the service of trying to get someplace, the promised land. 40 years of wandering in the desert, a wandering provoked by a certain unfaithfulness in the heart of God's own people who weren't so much tempted themselves, but who in their unfaithfulness kept tempting God. As if they couldn't find enough reasons to tell the Lord, oh, just punish us. Oh, just afflict us. We're going to keep getting it wrong because that's what we do. And so it is we hear in Scripture the Lord himself is exasperated. Forty years I put up with these guys. And I said to them, there are people who do not know my ways. And although they had seen everything I did, they keep testing me. Show me more. Give me a reason to believe in you. As if I hadn't done enough. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days in no small measure because Israel spent 40 years in the desert. 40 years struggling to learn what it is to be faithful struggling to find that point where they could step forward and enter the land that was promised. And here's Jesus, greater than Moses, that one who has come to fulfill a greater promise than temporal freedom, that one who has come to open the, day, the doorway to the promised land of eternal life, which we wander seeking in the desert of this world wondering what it's going to take to get us there. And so it is that Jesus goes into the desert, but he comes from someplace to get to that desert. Immediately after rising from the waters of the Jordan River where he was baptized, we hear today that the Holy Spirit impelled him. In other words, didn't give him an option, pushed him firmly. The Holy Spirit itself, the Spirit of God, was upon him in such power, and its first movement was to the wilderness, to the desert, after he was baptized. And so it is Jesus who's just consecrated the waters of the Jordan, the waters of baptism for all of us, rises from those waters, moves to the desert, and is tempted. St. Mark's Gospel doesn't talk to us about what those temptations were. St. Matthew and St. Luke do. And in leaving that blank, St. Mark is actually saying something very profound. Sometimes when we read the fuller accounts of the temptations of Jesus in the desert, we can kind of reduce that experience of the Lord to just those three incidents with Satan. But by leaving it open, St. Mark puts in front of us all of the struggles we have in the wild places of our own hearts. All of those temptations to despair, to give up, to nurse my anger, to dedicate myself to appear like someone I really am not. All of those ways I am invited to surrender who I really am. By speaking of this, note what, what St. Mark is implying. Jesus goes to more than just an earthly desert. 
He goes into that desert where those terrible whispers that come to us at night when we can't get any sleep just start speaking and they don't stop. Jesus goes there. He goes to that dangerous place, that place where the heart of man is at risk, that place where who we really are is at risk. And why? Because rising from the waters, what did Jesus hear as the Spirit comes upon him? You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the temptations he faces in the desert are temptations related to that. What does it really mean to be the son of God, to be a child of God? And the world around us seeks to manipulate that, seeks to get us to compromise on that. The Lord goes into the desert to face all of the questions, not simply fallen man, but most especially baptized man struggles with. We who are told we've been given the freedom of God, but find that our lives are chained to so many things that hold us down. We who likewise on the day we were baptized were told that we are the beloved children of the Lord who struggle to believe that and don't know what that really means. Because the 40 days of Lent are going to the great celebration of Easter, where every member of the church gathers around the baptismal font and we renew the promises of our baptism to reject Satan and embrace the gospel. And after we do that, water from that font is splashed on everyone in the church. And if you're here, you'll get splashed. But note the contrast from the dryness of the ashes on Wednesday to the abundance of water which gives life and doesn't destroy on Easter Sunday. That's where we're going, from the place of struggle and futility to the place of life and freedom and abundance. Not an earthly promised land, and yet a promised land whose power is effective even now on this earth and in this world. What a remarkable movement that is. And so it is not simply 40 days of jumping through the hoop of giving something up, of jumping through the hoop of doing certain things. The things we do are not unimportant, but they have value in terms of helping us get through this desert. And note, note, As we move through the desert, what today's gospel reading reminds us of is this. We're not alone in the wild spaces of our hearts, because that's where he goes first. We are not alone in confronting those things which want to tear us down and hold us down and diminish us, because he's there with us. We see all of a sudden that we are not left alone in that struggle, however lonely we might feel, because he goes there too. And so we struggle against sin and temptation, especially over these 40 days, with a strength that's a little bit more than just our own. In fact, a strength that is much more than just our own, because he is with us. And he has already overcome these things. And we can stand with him when we feel threatened by those beasts in the wilderness of our heart and know that 
we have one strong enough to protect us, strong enough to guide us. And even though we may fall as we make this movement, we have one who is mighty enough to lift us up. What a remarkably beautiful understanding of this season that really is. And yet there's still a bit more. Because in speaking in these mysterious ways, our first two readings also highlight something wonderful for us. And it is two of the most ancient symbols of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The rainbow that the first reading speaks of and the ark of Noah, which most especially our second reading from St. Peter speaks of. Consider again your experience of attending a baptism. And even a large baptismal font, let's be honest, usually isn't all that big. And so we have a hard time equating a baptismal font with an ocean, because physically that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And yet in engaging these readings from the very beginning, the church has seen something marvelous hidden in them. Think for a moment of what we know about Noah and his ark. That the waters are coming down, making an end of evil, an end of wickedness, but it's a destructive purging of the world. And yet within that overwhelming flood, where wrath comes crashing down on earth, there's a boat and a handful of people. And however big that boat looked when it was being built, and however big that boat looked when they were getting on board, imagine how small it felt when they were on it for 40 days as those rains came down. Another 40. A 40 that brings an end to wickedness and a movement toward life. Imagine how vast those floodwaters were and how tiny that boat, so like a small piece of wood, drifting on the ocean or even here in the Long Island Sound, insignificant and yet filled with life, and moving across all of those waters so that man might continue to live. And in reading about that, the fathers of the church thought of another piece of wood. Against the size of the world, small. And yet the wood of the cross is what touches in the blessing of the church the waters of the baptismal font and gives them the power to communicate life in greater abundance than life was found on the ark of Noah, in greater power than the parting of the Red Sea with Moses, this small piece of wood, the cross of the Lord, which doesn't simply bear the Lord's body, but which bears every wounded human heart upon it, and which bears those who receive the grace of the sacrament from slavery to death to the promise of eternal life. 
carried by the wood over the waters. So that even as the waters wash away our sin, they don't destroy us, but they give us life. That we might rise out of those waters and hear those words, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. And that is the most fundamental truth about who we really are. We can spend most of our lives not realizing that or simply forgetting about it. That's why we have these 40 days, because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to lose sight of, and when we do, we lose ourselves in the process. St. Louis de Montfort very beautifully says, the reason we're such mediocre Christians is not because we're great sinners, because we're actually pretty bad at that too, if we're honest. It's because we're forgetful. We forget the most important things about ourselves, who we really are. We're his. The temptations in the wilderness come to make us forget, to make us turn away, to make us define ourselves according to lesser things. And when that happens, the world does come crashing down around us. Maybe not right away, but sooner or later. And yet he comes into this fallen world. And so note what St. Peter says, by his death he has saved us. By the waters of baptism, more effectively than the ark of Noah, you are brought to life by him who has been raised up into the heavens, which is where the rainbow is. And note the beautiful implication of that. Jesus, risen from the dead, Jesus, victorious, enthroned in glory in heaven, radiant with the light of heavenly glory, greater than any rainbow. And when the Lord looks over and sees that radiant presence of his own son, he remembers his covenant, the covenant of mercy. The Lord shining in heaven is the greater covenant than the rainbow ever indicated. Because no longer is God saying, I promise not to drown the world again. Now what he says is, I promise to bring you through those unruly waters of selfishness, sinfulness, ambition, and death itself to life. Life that doesn't pass. Not just a few of you, but all of you. What a remarkably beautiful foundation this season of Lent really sits upon. That's why our collect for today's Mass had that beautiful request to the Lord of helping us to understand more fully the treasures that are hidden in Christ. Because there's more to our faith than we realize. There's more to our salvation than we readily understand at first glance. There is great wealth hidden in all of these things. And we ask heaven's help to open our eyes to it. And so we take these 40 days that are at the service of that great opening of the eyes of the heart and the mind to the full truth of our salvation, which is also the full truth of who we really are. And then, and then, 
we ask the Lord to help us learn to live rightly so that we can receive the fruits, the goodness, the wealth of that treasure. The practices of Lent, which are so very important and so very basic, fasting, prayer, generosity. Note how big they suddenly sound, these very familiar words that can seem so small. And why? Because no one crosses a desert, be it in 40 days or 40 years, in a single step. Rather, it's a series of small steps made faithfully that get one across the desert to the promised land of the other side. And so it is we have this time of Lent. All of these days where the Lord just asks us to take a small step, but remembering that we're going someplace, we're not just marking time. Simple actions over these 40 days that we can actually do are better than big things that we think about doing but we're never going to do. That's the fundamental truth. All we really need to do is keep stepping forward, not worrying about falling as long as we try to fall forward. Always remember the direction because there's a falling away and there's a falling forward. And trying to be faithful and failing is falling forward. That's what we want to do. And why? Because he's with us. And he knows. And he shows us that on Good Friday, when he enters the fullness of that wilderness of pain and sorrow and sadness that threatens us. But the Lord is not overwhelmed by it. In fact, he overcomes it. And he overcomes it not for himself, but for you and for me, and note how wonderful that is. And now consider what's about to happen in just a couple minutes. From this altar, that same Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of the Eternal Father, is going to be here. And arriving here among us who are his sin-afflicted children, but who also share his life, what is he going to do? He's going to come down off this altar so that we can come to him. And what did he say when he left the desert? The kingdom of God is at hand. And what are you going to do? You're going to stretch out your hand, aren't you? The kingdom of God is that close. All you've got to do is stretch out the hand. He'll do the rest. You stretch out your hand. He places himself in your hand. And as you consume the consecrated host, the body of Christ today, note where Jesus is going. Maybe your heart's more like a garden. Maybe it's more like a jungle. Maybe it's more like a desert. Maybe it's just a city crowded with all kinds of things we can't sort out. But that's where he's going. That's where he's going. That fundamental movement at the beginning of the gospel is something he still does. He still comes, and he still goes to the wild places of the world because that's where we are, and that's what's in us. And he's there. He's there to help us exactly in those places.
What a tremendous gift that is. Take a moment after you receive him today and just remember that. And remember that he goes there because he wants to. He goes there because we need him to. He goes there so that we know that we are not left alone there where we will be overmastered. Because small as it may seem physically, this piece of wood is what holds up the world. Amen.